We've been studying the book of Ruth for the past two months. Now it's time to bring it to a close. And, and all along, God was up to something really big. All along, these characters have been making these choices that have affected their lives. And, and what's interesting is that God in his sovereignty and his grand plan was working on something that was going to go beyond their lives. And God is still working on this grand plan that is going to go beyond our lives. Too many times we think too much of ourselves. We're really focused on ourselves. But, but often there are times where we don't think enough that what we do in this world has a lasting impact beyond us. And so the emphasis we're going to have to make it real for us is that today's obedience has future missional benefits. I'm going to say it over and over again. Today's obedience has future missional benefits. Now, I know a lot of you have not been here as we've been going through Ruth, and so I need to bring you up to speed for this, this grand finale. The book of Ruth is, is set during the turbulent time of the judges. If you want to learn about the judges, read the book of Judges. It was a, a period in Israel's history where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And God would punish his people. And so, in this instance, he punished them with famine. A family of four is living in Bethlehem. A famine hits. The husband, Elimelech, decides, let's take the four of us, move to this pagan country of Moab. Not, not really a good idea, by the way. So Naomi and Elimelech and their two boys, Malon and Kilion, they leave to Moab in order not to die. And then they get there in Moab. And what happens? The dad, Elimelech, dies. So you got Naomi left with her two boys. And they make a poor decision. Dad's off the scene. Often when dads are off the scene, kids make poor decisions. These two boys marry pagan Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. After a period of 10 years, no kids come along. And what happens to Malon and Kilion? Boom, both died. So the story here now in chapter 1 is Naomi, the mother-in-law, with her two daughters-in-law who are uh, Moabite women. Naomi hears there's food back in Bethlehem. She's like, girls, I'm going back to Bethlehem. Go back to your gods. Go back to your people. Go back to your family. Have a good time. May the Lord bless you. See you later. Because if you come with me, it's going to be a lot of suffering and pain and sorrow because I can offer you nothing. Orpah's like, all right, I'm out of here. See you. She goes back to her gods. Ruth clung to her mother-in-law. Ruth took refuge under the sovereign wings of God. Ruth was converted. So she follows Naomi back to Bethlehem. These two uh, widows have absolutely nothing. They are poor. But God has made a provision for poor people in Israel. And one of the things that they can do is they can glean in the field. So Ruth is a diligent woman. She goes out and starts picking up the leftover sheaves and gleaning in the field for her and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And she just so happens to end up in the field of this godly man named Boaz. Just so happened in God's sovereignty. She gets there and Boaz is like, I've heard of you. You're, you're Ruth. You're that godly woman who came back from Moab. You took refuge under the wings of God and you've been taking care of your mother-in-law. You're an awesome woman. Let me load you up with all this grain and bless you. Ruth is like, great. 
So she takes all this grain back to her mother-in-law, and she's like, man, there was this guy I met in the field, and he gave me all this grain, and he just blessed me, and, and Naomi's like, awesome, what's his name? And she's like, uh, it's Boaz. And she's like, Boaz? Do you understand, Ruth, that Boaz is related to us? And he has the ability to be a redeemer. He can be the redeemer that comes into our lives, marries you, redeems us out of poverty and suffering and childlessness. Boaz is the man. He's our redeemer. Let's craft a plan to get him to marry you. Here, do this. So late at night, around midnight, she goes out to the threshing floor. She uncovers her, his feet while he's asleep. This is Boaz. And Ruth lays down there. And he startled. He wakes up. He's like, whoa, who are you? And she's like, I'm Ruth. And then she proposes marriage to him. In fact, she proposes that he proposed to her. And he's like, man, this is awesome. I totally want to marry you. You're, you're, you're a great girl. You have integrity. You're the one I want to marry but I can't. You see, there's this other relative. There's this other guy. There's this third party who has rights to you first. And so he, he can marry you, but if he doesn't do it, I'll do it. And so Boaz is a crafty man. He goes to this, this third party. And he says, look, man, here's some land you can redeem at a good price. He's like, I'll take it. And he's like, oh, by the way, once you take the land, you get this widow thrown in. He's like, uh-uh. I don't want it. And so the, that redeemer bows out. Boaz steps up. As we see in the video, it's a wedding day and kids are on the way. All along, God has been crafting this sovereign plan and he's been using the decisions, the godly decisions of Ruth, of Naomi, and Boaz. He's been taking their decisions, even the small ones, and he's crafting this plan. And what we're going to see at the very end of Ruth, he's crafting a plan that's going to go beyond their lifetime. He's got this bigger plan in mind that these small characters play a part. Exact same thing happens today. God is crafting his grand plan. And he takes people like you and your obedience and it plays into his plan somehow. And even when you die and pass off the scene, his plan keeps projecting forward. Your obedience today has future missional benefits. This is kind of similar to the idea of legacy. I know you're familiar with legacy, right? You, 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 uh, you want to be um, good at a social cause or you want to raise successful children so that when you die, people will look back and say, wow, what a great job they did. Or when you go to college, you want to really do something spectacular in college so that when you graduate, people will look back and remember you Fondly. That's the idea of personal legacy. That's not what we're going to talk about today. Because you realize when you're trying to craft your own personal legacy, I don't know about you, but it, it puts a lot of pressure on you. You're like, man, what's going to happen after I leave? Or what's going to happen after I die? Are people going to think well of me? And you get all this pressure on you, and you get nervous, and you get anxious. And, but you're hoping, okay, I hope when I die, they're going to say, he did a great job, and, and, and they'll give me all the glory. 
We're not talking about a personal legacy. Too much pressure. Too much self-focus. What we're talking about today is getting caught up in God's grand plan. God has a plan to redeem people from all the nations through faith in Jesus Christ. That is his grand plan that is advancing on this earth. And, and what the book of Ruth is teaching us is that we can get caught up in it with our small acts of obedience that will have future impact. So don't think today about your own personal legacy. Think about getting caught up in God's mission to redeem men and women through Jesus Christ. You play a part in that. And once you pass off the scene, your obedience will carry on into eternity. Ruth is teaching significant things. So let's track with it. Let's start with verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife, and he went into her. And the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. So Boaz and Ruth follow God's grand plan, perfect design for marriage. They, they wait until they're married for marital intimacy, and from that marital intimacy comes a baby boy. And it says here that the Lord gave her conception. The Lord gave her a baby. I love it because throughout you can say the Lord has been directing people, directed Ruth back from Moab, put her in the field of Boaz, hooked those two up, took the Redeemer off the scene, got those two married, and now the Lord gave her conception. The Lord's been in control all along. So this little boy, this little baby, is born to Ruth and Boaz. Think about having those two as your parents. Think about what Ruth and Boaz are, are going to pass on to their little boy. I mean, they could tell them the story. They're like, you know what? Here's our story. We went about God's ways with integrity. We trusted him, and God has abundantly blessed us. But if Ruth and Boaz tell their whole story, Ruth has a past, right? She was in Moab. She worshiped Chemosh. By the way, when you worship Chemosh, Chemosh has to do with human, human sacrifice, and not only that, there's probably a lot of sexual immorality involved. That's part of Ruth's story. And I think where it's appropriate, parents should tell their kids their story where it, it is appropriate. And I, I want to share with my kids my story. My wife wants to share her story of how Jesus has redeemed us. I want my kids to know that when I was their age, I was not memorizing scripture. I was not winning Awana awards. When I was their age, I was throwing pine cones at moving cars. I was trying on new cuss words, and only those from the 80s will get this one. I was playing records backwards listening for satanic messages. I really was. I was not following Jesus at all. And so my story that I'm passing on to my kids is like, you know, I was messed up. But Jesus came in and redeemed me from my life of sin and bondage to Satan, and he saved me, and now I'm caught up in this mission that God is doing in redeeming people, and I just want to pass it on to you. 
This past Wednesday, we got our, um, these big boxes in the mail. It's our, it's our Bible B material for the summer where we get to study the Word of God as a family. We got these big boxes. We're opening it up, all this material about studying Colossians. And, and we're doing all this stuff as a family to get to family worship. And we're not doing this so my kids, like one day when they grow up, they'll say, you know what? My parents, they did all this religious education in our home. They were such good parents. They taught us about religion. Aren't they just great? That's not why we're doing it. We are caught up personally in the mission of God, and we just want to pass it on to them, and we want them to get caught up in the mission of God. And so when we pass off the scene, they're still following Jesus. And when they pass off the scene, their kids are following Jesus, not because they can look back and say, what a great personal legacy. We say, look, God's got a plan. I'm caught up in it. I want you to be caught up in it. And what happens is these acts of obedience have ripple effects down the generations. It really does. Your obedience today can have impact 100 years from now, 200 years from now, on into eternity. Because there's a big plan going on here beyond you. Same thing with Ruth and Boaz. We're talking about them thousands of years later. Let's keep going. Verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. So the book starts with Naomi. It ends with Naomi. Remember, she was bitterness, mourning at the beginning. She went from tragedy to triumph. Famine, feast. Childlessness, offspring. And I love this. So she's probably at her home, just chilling out. And all her women friends come over. These are the women friends from the beginning of the chapter 1. They say, hey, look, there's Naomi. And she's like, no, don't call me Naomi. I have a little name change here. My name is now Mara. I am the bitter old woman. Call me Mara. And they're like, all right, Mara. And so these are her women friends from chapter 1. They are now brought back in to chapter 4. And what it looks like, not for sure, but it looks like the women friends go over to Ruth and Boaz's house, get the baby boy, march through the streets, I'm just guessing, march through the streets of this baby, end up at Naomi's house, huh? And then they say these things. They say, praise the Lord, here is your Redeemer. And you're thinking, I thought Boaz was the Redeemer. Well, yeah, Boaz is the Redeemer. But here is a baby that is going to redeem her out of childlessness, kept alive the name of her dead husband, Elimelech, and when she got old, this baby was going to take care of her. So God worked it out in such a way that he made sure that when Naomi got old, she would be cared for. And then look what the women say. They make this kind of this prophetic word. They say, may his name be renowned in Israel. This is basically saying, may this Redeemer, be famous. And, and these women don't know what they're saying. They're just praying this prophetic. But from this Redeemer was going to come famous offspring, King David. And from the line of King David will come the most famous offspring ever, Jesus Christ. From the line of Ruth and Boaz. 
I'm trying to get you to clue in here. I don't know if you're cluing in yet, but I'm trying to get you to clue in here. God used the faithfulness of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz to craft his sovereign plan in history that worked out in their lives, but projected way beyond their lives. So their little bitty acts of obedience had future missional impact down through the generations. But I guess it could have gone another way. I guess it could have gone another way. I mean, I, I don't know how it could have gone. <clears throat> but when you think about this scenario, Ruth and Boaz are just like us. And we, we make these decisions. And, you know, Ruth and Boaz were alone on the threshing floor late at night. Everybody else is sleeping. There's a woman at his feet. Boaz could totally take advantage of her. I mean, come on, who's going to know? And who's going to really care? He could totally take advantage of her. He had the opportunity. I think about hanging out with men and some of the choices we make and think that the choices you make just over one weekend, you think, you know, just between me and me. And if there's consequences, maybe it'll impact me a little. Maybe if you're married and your wife finds out, you're like, oh, my wife found out. Bummer. Then it might impact her a little bit. But you're just kind of thinking about you. And maybe about the consequences to your wife. But do you understand that the consequences can go to your kids? And their kids? And their kids? Are you cluing into that? That you can make decisions now that are so poor, such bad judgment, that they can carry on from generation to generation. But in the same way of making poor choices can have a lingering effect, so can making choices of obedience have a lingering effect. There's a family in here, most of you know them. Uh, Tim and Tammy Norman, they are here. Uh, they, have, they have wonderful kids. And Tim has been the director at Crusade at Northwestern. And as you may know, they are, they are moving on to the wonderful country of Texas. That's where I'm from, all right? So they're moving on to, to Texas. And while they have been here, they have seen students, maybe some of you, come to faith in Jesus. And these students take the gospel all around the world, and then they share the gospel with others, and then they share the gospel with others. And so Tim and Tammy, their short years here, six, seven, eight years, have this lasting impact that, that continues on. But you know, it, it's not easy being a campus crusade director, missionary. I mean, how do you even explain that job sometimes? People are like, what do you do? And you're like, I'm kind of a missionary, sort of, work on campus. And like, who pays you? I mean, what are you going to say? Well, the students pay me. How many of you pay Tim and Tammy students? I don't think so, right? The students don't pay you. You got to go raise your support. That's hard. Sometimes it comes in. Sometimes it doesn't. You're like, you know, maybe I should just bail and get out of this. But you know, you obey in the small things. And what's happening? You have this lingering ripple effect of obedience that lasts and spreads from generation to generation. That's what we're seeing in Ruth. Small decisions of obedience 
have a lasting impact for God's kingdom. Let's keep going. Verse 15. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Oh, this is good. This is good. So Naomi thought her family was done, and so God brings along this redeemer, restores her life, carries on the family name. So her childlessness is replaced by an heir. Her famine is replaced by a continual feast. The question is, we understand God's doing this, but who is the human instrument? It's Ruth. She said, for your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons. Her daughter-in-law loves her, and her love keeps continuing. Think about the love of Ruth. She left her family to take care of Naomi. She risked getting beat up on going out to glean in the fields because she loved Naomi. She did this crafty, risky midnight plan because she loved Naomi. She didn't marry the better-looking, richer, young guys, but the older redeemer because she loves Naomi. And what we're going to see in this verse and a couple after, you know what she's doing? She's basically saying, Naomi, here is your son. Now, I don't know how this translates into our culture very well because the, the son is very much Ruth's, but Naomi is going to have a hand in raising the boy. And so maybe, maybe Naomi is going to be like a, a foster mom to the boy. But whatever the case, Ruth loves Naomi and her love keeps giving and giving and giving and that little boy's going to grow up and he's going to care for her Naomi in her old age but not only that God has a plan that's going to go beyond all of them that he is doing through Ruth and may I point out Ruth's faithfulness started as a single woman she didn't wait till she got married and said, you know, now I'm married. I better start being faithful to the Lord here and, and figure out how I can pass on this legacy here. No, no, no. She is faithful to the Lord in her singleness. I mean, you may think if you're single, there's absolutely no way you can have any kingdom impact that's going to have this lasting impact because you think, you know, I've got to get married, I've got to have kids, and then I can leave this lasting. No. Ruth is being faithful and her singleness that has lasting impact. My wife and I know a woman in Texas, godly woman, pushing 50, never been married. Totally fine with it. Totally content. She invests in people for Jesus. We don't even know her very well at all, and yet, every so often we get a letter in the mail from her that she writes to my 10-year-old daughter, and then this letter is talking about Jesus. It's passing on to her scripture. It's encouraging her in the Lord. It is a single woman who is making an eternal impact by her decisions of obedience. And I think if you're single, you have decisions to make. You can put all your energies and all your efforts into getting married. You can like be like this crazy person who works out all the time because you want to look good, right? Because you want to get married. And then you can just hit the bars all the time, like, got to find that right person. The bar is a great place to find that right person, right? 
Go to the bar. Yeah, that's a good idea. And so you're focused on that. Or, or maybe if you're single, you're like, no, I'm not going to focus on married. You're going to take all your time and just consume it with your job. And you're just cranking out the hours. You're using some of the best years of your life to put into your job. Right? Yeah, let's just be blunt about it. You're cranking out hours in your job and the best years of your life. Or you could take your singleness, be consumed with the kingdom of God. Invest in other people, human beings, Jesus, love them, disciple them, and see that carry on. So if you're single and you're here this morning, you really need to ask yourself, am I using my single years for kingdom impact? Or are you wasting your single years? Are are you waiting to say, once I get married, then I'll have more time to make an impact? Uh, No, you won't. Just for the record, you won't. Bible is very clear. Once you get married, you have your interests divided. Being single, focus, hone in on serving the king and his kingdom. What are you doing with your single years? Let's just get really blunt. What are you doing this summer? When you come back in the fall, and I see in the fall, you, a lot of you just disappear, like the rapture or something. You're out of here. And then you come back in the fall... When I see you, what, what did you do? Did you invest in anybody? Did you tell anybody about Christ? Did you s- disciple anybody? Or was it all about you, your job, your career, your bar scene, your workout regimen? Come on. There's something bigger going on here. We want to get caught up in it. Future missional impact. Let's look at verse 16. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. You see, you see what I mean here by foster mom? She's got this mother-like role and she puts him on her lap and she's take care of him. And then, then something funny, I think it's funny, verse 17. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So these women are getting so caught up, and they're like, we're going to name him for you. <laughs> it's like you go to the women's Bible study, and you're like, what do you think, women? What should we call this boy? And they're like, that looks like an Obed. So they name him. I don't know what's going on here. This is Obed. And, and his, his name means servant of the Lord. And he's obviously going to serve Naomi, but future generations. Did you catch that? This is no ordinary child. Did you catch the end of that? They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. David. Oh, that would be King David. This is his grandpa right here, Obed. So the narrator, what the narrator just did, the narrator put some time and space between Naomi and King David. Well, come on now. The book of Ruth is a trip, don't you admit? You have two widows trying to figure out how to make ends meet? King David. Are you kidding me? God used them to produce him? God was crafting a dynasty through the decisions of these peasants? Yeah, and he's crafting not only a dynasty of King David, he's crafting a dynasty that is eternal and everlasting through David's greater son, Jesus Christ. 
That is absolutely amazing what God's doing. Absolutely amazing. And they didn't know about it. Ruth and Naomi and Boaz didn't get together and said, let's obey the Lord so that we will produce King David and then the Messiah. Isn't that a great idea? They had no idea. They just obeyed. And then God carried out the plan. And it happened throughout the generations because that's the way God works. Look at verse 18. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amimadab. Amimadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. So the book is concluding. It's showing you that even during this messed up time of judges, God was still in control, took the actions of faithful human beings, crafted it into a sovereign plan, and voila, King David. And you look at all these generations and you think, man, there could be some serious breakdown here, some human sin that could totally throw off this, this dynasty. There's no way that this could work out unless God was totally and completely in it bringing salvation through the line of Davis, David and ultimately Jesus Christ. But that's the way God works. He takes our decisions, our obedience, crafting his plan, weaving it through history, and he's carrying his plan along and our obedience has future missional benefits even when we pass off the scene. But I have to have a word with you here, a word of uh, encouragement, because I know a lot of you w- would probably be discouraged by this word, because um, this encouraging word that missional future benefits can be encouraging, it can also be discouraging, because everybody in here, including me, we've blown it, and we have seen the results of our sin follow us into the future. We have seen the results of our sin follow people we love into the future. Where we sinned about 20 years ago and we we really hurt people. And now 20 years later, we see those people have some pretty messed up lives and it's on us. We've made some decisions. Maybe you just finished four years of school and you totally were focused on yourself. You're at the end and you're like, oh no, I just wasted four years. So it could be very discouraging to you. You could be very discouraged ending this book right here when you see obedience leading to future blessings when all you know maybe is just disobedience, foolishness. So we're not going to end here. We can't end here. We're going to look at one other place where the name Ruth shows up in the Bible. Let's end Ruth in the book of Matthew. Yeah, let's turn to the New Testament. Let's end Ruth in the book of Matthew. For all those who are discouraged by their failings of the past, wondering if God can make anything of your mess, let's look at the beginning of Matthew. Matthew starts out pretty exciting. It's like someone said, it's like reading a Hebrew phone book. This is really exciting. 
can God make anything out of your mess? You've repented of your past sins, but you wonder if God could do anything from your mess. Let's look a little bit at this genealogy. Let's start in verse 1 of Matthew. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham, I'm not going to read it all. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron. And Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Now jump to verse 16. We don't want to read all that. Jump to verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. If you're wondering if God can make anything from your mess in the future, the genealogy should be encouraging. Did you catch any of the people who are in here? How about Jacob, the founding father of Israel? Great deceiver. Any deceivers in here? Jesus Christ came to save and redeem deceivers and turn them around and use them for his kingdom. What about this prostitute? What is a prostitute doing in the line of Jesus? You see the prostitute there? Rahab. You see Rahab? You know, Rahab had a boy, and what was his name? Did you catch that? Did you see the boy? That's verse 5. Let's see. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Wait, what? Boaz's mom is Rahab? Are you kidding? The prostitute Rahab? Yeah. It's Boaz's mom. God in his grace crafting this godly man, turning this situation around. Well, who else do you see in here? Well, we have the great King David, a man after God's own heart. And notice how David is referred to here in the genealogy. I mean, you've got to love it. Look again at verse 6. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Oh, come on. You can say it another way. You'll just say it like that. You can just say maybe he's from Bathsheba, right? Say it that way, but don't say from the wife of Uriah. Oh, yeah. That would be... David committing adultery with Uriah's wife and then covering it up and having him killed. Yeah, that David, he's in here. You just go through this genealogy and you're wondering, can God forgive me? And can God do anything with my mess? Yes. Yes. There's not perfect people in this genealogy at all. God uses repentant sinners, turns them around, takes their life, and creates future missional benefits centered on the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. That is awesome. Be encouraged that your obedience today has future missional benefits. Even if you're not perfect, which we're not, even if you fail and sin, have issues from your past, 
ways you've blown it, God in his grace can craft all that in his sovereign plan. Yesterday, we had an annual meeting. And at the end of the meeting, we had some, some news, some good news. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to tell you the whole story. We don't have time. Um, I had the chance to tell the congregation yesterday about my friend from California who had this radical conversion. God totally saved him and changed his life. But unfortunately, last year around Easter, at age 37, he died. Radically converted, lived about five years as a Christian, and then suddenly died. But while he was alive, he impacted people, and he would share the gospel with others, and then he would see others have this radical conversion in in their life. And the reason why I brought him up in our meeting yesterday is that somehow, under God's providence, God's sovereignty, he decided that if he ever did die, he should send some money to our church. And so our church received a rather large gift from him after he was already dead. And we decided as a church yesterday to just kind of put that money and just give it all away for the, for the advancement of his kingdom. We, we put it into different categories. And one of the categories we put it in was to, um, to support and encourage the Congolese pastor, Kaviti Kakama. We, we gathered with them and, and remember last November, great brothers in the Lord. So we're going to take care of him by just giving him some money from my friend who's with Jesus now. And as I was stepping back thinking about that, I thought, okay, my friend when he was on this earth never ever been to the Democratic Republic of Congo. I don't know if he's ever even heard of it. Now my friend is with Jesus, but while he was alive, he impacted people, and he also took some of his money and projected it into the future in some way. And now he's with Jesus, and yet the gospel is spreading from his impact to take care of immigrants spreading the gospel from those coming over from the Congo. You can't plan that. You're going to make decisions right now, and then you're going to die. And if you're following the Lord, caught up in his mission, when you die, there's going to be stuff happening after you you're never going to see on this earth. But I want you to see that your decisions now are big. And they can have lasting value for later for seeing God's kingdom advance for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask that as we follow Jesus now, as we obey him now, and soon we will pass off the scene, let us know that by your grace there is going to be a continuing mission on into eternity by you just taking our works, empowered by you, empowered by your Holy Spirit, and will continue on into the future. That is totally your grace. We thank you for ending Ruth by projecting it into the future of God's plans centered on Jesus Christ. How two widows trying to make ends meet were thrown in with a godly man and obeyed you and you took their obedience and crafted this wonderful plan that centers on Jesus Christ. Encourage us, Lord, that we're not wasting our time. Encourage us that our decisions and choices, even the small ones, contribute toward the advancement 
of your plan. That our choices and obedience are not meaningless, but they are significant, empowered by your grace, for your glory, for your mission in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.